We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, October the 22nd, 2020. On today's show, we start by the NCAA finally did something right. Wide receiver Jalen Brooks is officially eligible, and he will play this Saturday against LSU. I'll talk about Jalen Brooks being ruled eligible. How does it help the Gamecocks offense? What can we expect from Jalen? And what does it mean for this South Carolina football team? Also, I break down South Carolina's road trip to Baton Rouge. The Gamecocks take on the LSU Tigers. South Carolina looking for their third straight win and second straight week with a big upset. I'll break down the Tigers' talk, top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, take you guys' listener questions, voicemails, much, much more as we dive into the big matchup on Saturday night. Also, we have a fantastic conversation. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Rakevius Watkins joins the show. This was a great combo. Rakevius, an awesome dude. The Rock, as we called him. Um, we talk about his time at South Carolina, winning the SEC East, being on the first team to ever win 11 games, blocking for Marcus Lattimore, the current state of, current state of Gamecock football, all that good stuff. Ton to get into today here on a Thursday. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. So guys, they're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company. They're also employee-owned co-op, which means their movers are paid twice the industry average. So everyone on the crew is just as invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they offer black glove service as well. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating, and packaging for special items and cleaning services as well. Oh, by the way, they were founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni. So why not? Gamecocks helping Gamecocks. You love to hear it. They also offer 20 years of project management and moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply don't have the skills for. Guys, if you want to go check them out, if you need to move, these are the guys to go with. Like I said, service is what makes Upstate Movers Group stand out. I've had the privilege to meet them, talk with them again. Gamecocks supporting Gamecocks. They're huge Gamecock fans. Sometimes I'll just hit them up and we'll talk Gamecock football. We'll talk shop every now and then. But seriously, if you have moving needs, be sure to check them out, upstateMoversGroup.com. That is upstateMoversGroup.com. You can also find them on social media. So whatever way you get in touch with them, that's upstatemoversgroup.com and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at MyBookie. Guys, between the NFL, college ball, and MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. And with thousands of lines available on your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday 
with my bookie. Listen, if you're the type of gambler who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, which gambling makes meaningless games exciting, really, but these parlays certainly make meaningless games exciting. But more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. Hey, don't forget the underdogs. We're Gamecock fans. We love the underdogs. They have a ton of value. We all know that. We saw last week South Carolina was the underdog against Auburn. Guess what? They won straight up. The thing about the NFL particularly, and college football would say, but the NFL for sure, is that underdogs are never really underdogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Guys, you can sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code GAMECOCKS. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code GAMECOCKS, to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. So, guys, you make a deposit up to $1,000, they are going to match that deposit dollar for dollar in a free play. And a free play is simply this. You put money on a game, hey, guess what? You lose, it doesn't come out of your account. You win, but you get that money. It's literally a win-win scenario for you guys. It's a bonus to sign to give you a little bit of help and a head start on your winning season. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks, mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. That Guys, they've got everything. You can bet on literally anything and everything, stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets with the election coming up, all the major sports and more. Sign up today at mybookie.ag to begin your winning season exclusively at mybookie. Let's get it. the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show. There is a lot to get into here on a Thursday. A lot to talk about. Very, very excited to be chatting with you guys here on a Thursday as we are just a few days away now from kickoff, from game day. We're almost there. South Carolina taking on the LSU Tigers this Saturday. Also, the NCAA finally showing some favor to South Carolina. Um, Again, hope you guys are having a fantastic Thursday, a fantastic week. I know I am. Things, like I said, like we said earlier in the week, they're always better when South Carolina wins. And I don't know, I've got an extra pep in my step. I've got the extra juice, extra energy flowing today because South Carolina has got an opportunity yet again. They've got an opportunity yet again to get a big upset win. Again, a lot to get into, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. I truly, truly do. Thank you so much for the people that consume the content, share the content, like the content, no matter the platform you're on, listen to the show, whatever. I want to say again, and I don't say it enough, Thank you to you all who take your time to tune in to the show. Again, consume any of the content I produce. Thank you so much. Before we get into everything, a couple of housekeeping items as always. If you have not done so, take five seconds out of your day. Whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, what have you, go rate the show. Go leave five stars, leave your thoughts, your feedback, whatever it may be, things you like, you don't like, you want to hear more of, less of. Please take the time to do that. It really helps boost up the podcast. Also, if you're not subscribed, be sure to hammer the subscribe button. 
You want to get the daily notifications when the podcast drops. We drop Monday through Friday in case you somehow didn't know. You want to get those notifications. Also, of course, if you're not following on social media, do that. And please, guys, if you're listening and you're not subscribed to the YouTube page, it would mean the world to me if you just took two seconds out of your day, subscribe to the YouTube page. We're about 150 subscribers away from 1,000. Really want to hit 1,000 subs. If you don't mind doing that, I appreciate it. But again, those who have already rated and subscribed the show, Thank you so much for that. I truly do appreciate it. Also, I told you guys that I had a big-time announcement, that I, I had a surprise, if you will. I don't know if announcement's the right word. But I had a surprise for you guys, and a little bit different than prior surprises or whatever I guess you could say. Well, anyways, you're listening to this right now. I don't know when you're tuning in. It could be early morning. It could be midday. It could be at night. Hell, it could be Friday. It could be Saturday. Hell, I, I don't know. But if you're listening to this on Thursday... The Spurs Up show is going on the road. We are headed to Baton Rouge to watch South Carolina take on LSU, and I am so fired up. Again, if you're tuned into this on Thursday, I'm, I'm going to put up an announcement on Thursday because obviously I've been doing the Daily Crow Monday through Friday. will not be able to do it Thursday and probably not Friday either because I will be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana today. We are on the road traveling, so I'm actually going down with family. My sister lives down in Baton Rouge, and my parents were trying to schedule a time. Hey, when can we go see? When can we go see? Um, you know, my sister and everything, and it's kind of all perfectly lined up this week. Where it's like, hey, we're gonna head down. You want to go? And I'm like, of course I want to go. So heading down to Baton Rouge, heading down to LSU, the first time in my entire life. I've never even been to the state of Louisiana. Got a really fun fun weekend plan. I think we're actually going to head to New Orleans on Friday, and obviously Saturday we're going to walk around LSU and check out the stadium, check out the tailgates, check out the campus, stuff like that. So I'm very, very excited, but I've been kind of keeping it in myself, obviously, all week. I wanted to surprise you guys. So, again, depending on when you're tuning into this, but if you're listening on Anytime Thursday, we are on the road right now, the Spurs Up show, is headed down to LSU to hopefully watch the Gamecocks get a dub over the LSU Tigers. So very excited. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of cool content from videos to pictures to you guys probably see the podcast clips, obviously, on social media, especially tomorrow. Be sure to keep an eye on the clip for tomorrow. Going to be very, very exciting when I give my official prediction. Um but yeah, again, I, I've been saving that all week, but we're headed to Baton Rouge. The Spurs Up show, we're taking the show on the road, baby. I'm very excited to check out LSU, check out Death Valley, check out everything Baton Rouge has to offer, check out New Orleans. It's going to be a blast. So just want to let you guys know, again, no Daily Crow today or tomorrow, but it's because, heck, your boys at LSU. So let's get it. Let's go. I'm pumped. All right. Uh, final reminder, watch party Saturday at overtime. Still doing the watch party, by the way. So there's still going to be a watch party Saturday at overtime bar and grill. You guys, if you're still in Columbia or you're in the area, be sure to go out. Doors at 5, kickoff at 7. I will let you guys know if there's going to be any sort of pregame or postgame show. Obviously, with me being in Baton Rouge, that throws a little bit of a uh, kink in there. I'll probably go live in some capacity. I just don't know exactly what channel or what platform I'll be going live on. So it may be Instagram Live. It may be Periscope. It may be Facebook Live. And this is why I wanted to get to 1,000 subscribers because once we get to 1,000, I can go YouTube live on my phone. So, again, you guys just follow on social media. I'll let you know. But overall, very, very excited. Be sure to go check out the Watch Party Saturday at Overtime Bar and Grill if you guys are around the city. Again, doors open at 5, kickoff at 7. All right, let's dive into the show. And first things first, this happened Wednesday morning. So did not get it on the Wednesday podcast. But you know we had to talk about it today. And we got to start with the big news Again, the Daily Crow was lit yesterday because of this news, which I appreciate everybody that tuned in and 
really made that a blast. Finally, the NCAA <laughs> shines some favor on South Carolina. Wide receiver Jalen Brooks has officially been ruled eligible, and he will play this Saturday in Baton Rouge for the Gamecocks. Now, I hate to start this on a note, anything other than breaking down on the field stuff and how Jalen Brooks is going to help this team on the field. But I have to address the elephant in the room. I put this out on social media, and a lot of you may not even care, but I'm going to say it on the podcast as well, and it's going to be short, sweet, and to the point. Listen, during the summer, I made a statement about Jalen Brooks and just the overall signing of him. I made a statement about it. I was frustrated. I was frustrated with recruiting. I was frustrated with the way things were going with the program. I was frustrated coming into year five of a four and eight season. I was frustrated with business, to be totally honest with you, with COVID and the uncertainty and all of that stuff. I made that statement. At this point, guys, honestly, it is what it is. I'm happy Jalen Brooks is a Gamecock. I'm happy he's been ruled eligible. I never thought he should have been eligible, especially in this year when it doesn't count when this year obviously does not count for anybody's eligibility. I mean, everybody, this is a freebie year for everyone. I always wanted him to be eligible. I'm glad he's a Gamecock, and I genuinely hope, genuinely hope, he goes out on the field this Saturday and every Saturday this season and shoves my comments from the summer up my ass. So I just want to make that clear because I know that's going to be a, a, a hot topic of discussion. A lot of you are going to be asking – Yes, I'm addressing the elephant in the room. I am glad he's eligible. I'm glad he's a Gamecock, and I'm glad he's going to help out this football team. Now, now that we've addressed that, we got that out of the way, let's get to on the field. Jalen Brooks is eligible. What does that mean for South Carolina as a football team and specifically this offense? Listen, I've seen, you know, a lot of people – reactions to this as far as what they're expecting from Jalen Brooks. And I, and I put it out there on social media, you know, how many catches, yards, and touchdowns, whatever are you expecting? You know, the thing with Jalen Brooks, it, we've heard rave reviews from fall camp. Will Muschamp and the guy, you know, specifically the players talking about him, J.C. Horn gave him his vote of confidence, which you would think if J.C. is going to give a player his vote of confidence, it means he's a pretty damn good player. I think the biggest thing, because listen, this game Saturday at LSU, I mean, what a test. What a test, by the way, out the gate. Hey, Young Buck, your first game, your first SEC game of your career is at LSU in Baton Rouge. I know this isn't the LSU of last year or even LSU defenses of the past, but still, that's your first SEC game. I'm not going to put unfairly high expectations on Jalen Brooks because, listen, again, it is his first SEC game. I think he's definitely in football shape. He's been practicing. He's been practicing with the team, all that good stuff. But, you know, I'm not going to put these unfair expectations of saying, oh, he's going to go out there six, seven, eight catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns, whatever crazy. Honestly, if Brooks can go out there and have three or four catches, 40 or 50 yards, and just give Colin Hill another legitimate body on the outside – to take the pressure off of Shai Smith, I think that is a major victory in this football game. I mean, again, we don't really know what to expect from Jalen Brooks and how much he really will help this offense because in the preseason, he was listed as a top three receiver and that he would have been a starting receiver on opening day had he been eligible from the jump. But I don't want fans to get this unrealistic expectation just because of what we've heard in practice. And again, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I'm not trying to be negative, but... We also heard Luke Doty was going to play a lot. We also heard Dak Joyner would get a lot of touches. We heard great things about, you know, Josh Van and Xavier Leggett. We've heard, a, we've heard great things about Rico Powers and Jakari Caldwell and every other receiver on the roster. 
So what does South Carolina really get out of Jalen Brooks? Like I said, I, I think it can help the offense immensely. And I expect it to help the offense, by the way. I think, like I said, if nothing else, even if Brooks isn't like a big-time player or whatever, again, how does he adjust to the SEC level? That is going to be the question I have because obviously he's got speed. Obviously, he, he has the measurables. There's no question. This is a guy that has the measurables. How does he adjust to the SEC game? Because like I said, I said what I said over the summer. He's transferring him from Wingate. These LSU DBs are not going to be the sack DBs. And, and hey, I hope he puts on for the sack because I'm a sack guy myself. Went to Newberry, Wingate was in the conference. Put on for the sack, young fella, by the way. But how does he adjust to the SEC game? Like I said, he doesn't need to go out there and be Alshon Jeffrey. He doesn't need to be Sidney Rice. But I think it can be an extremely valuable piece because South Carolina threw four games you know, all the successes they've had at two and two right now, and you're, we kind of got some momentum. You're kind of feeling good going into Baton Rouge, going into LSU. You, you know, you still haven't found that number two wide receiver, even. You know, I, I was expecting big things out of Xavier Leggett this year. And for whatever reason, just has not clicked. Tip the cap to Shy Smith. He has held his own. He, he has been a pleasant, I don't want to say surprise, but he's exceeded all of our expectations from the preseason. There's no question there. Can Jalen Brooks just serve as that number two guy just to take the pressure off of Shy Smith, just to keep defenses honest to where they cannot just key in on Shy? I'll be very interested to see that. So, again, I think it's great news. I think South Carolina did get better as a football team. And for a Gamecocks offense that just so desperately needs any type of legitimate bodies on the outside, guys that can make a difference on the outside of the wide receiver position – this is nothing less than a sh – this is nothing more, I should say, or nothing less – what's the word I'm looking for? This is a shot in the arm for this Gamecocks offense. There's no other way to put it. This is a shot in the arm. You got better as a football team. But, again, I don't want to put unfair expectations on Jalen Brooks off the jump. Like, I, I don't think fans, like I said, should realistically be expecting him to go out there and catch for 100 yards this weekend. But, like I said, if he can simply provide that number two option, take some of the – haul in some of these catches that Shai Smith is getting take some of the pressure off of Shai Smith and just prove himself, if nothing else, the guy who's just a, de a dependable pass catcher. If he can just prove himself as a dependable pass catcher, that is going to help out this offense immensely because you already feel like you have an identity as far as running the football with Kevin Harris. You know what Shai Smith can do. You expect Colin Hill to play a very Colin Hill brand of football. I think the addition of Jalen Brooks, again, only helps this football team. So I'm very, very excited. And again, we had to address it because it came out early Wednesday morning, but very excited, very excited to see just what Jalen Brooks can do. Because again, it is such a mystery. I mean, it is such a mystery because like I said, we've heard Will Muschamp say things about guys and say things about them in practice and, and praise them in practice. But what do you do on the field? What do you do in a game like this? Again, Hey, the stage is set. Here you go. You wanted to play SEC football. Let's see if he can ball. And, and you know what? Credit to what DJ Swearinger said last week, exactly a week ago on this podcast. Five stars has never been the standard at South Carolina. You put your pads on the same way we all put our pads on. If you can ball, you can ball. We're going to find out really quickly if Jalen Brooks can ball. But I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Finally, I don't know what took the NCAA so long to figure this out. Like I said, especially when everybody else has gotten approved. And in a year that does not even count, like I'd love, and it wouldn't matter, but I'd love to hear the NCAA. Like, I'd love to hear from them, like, what took y'all so long? 
what took you so long to approve this guy? Like, what was it? What was the thing that clicked? They were like, oh, yeah, for sure. We're going we're gonna to stamp him and approve him. It's just absolutely bonkers. But either way, you get him four games in. What type of impact can he have? Again, I think he can be a solid two option. Nothing crazy. I'm expecting at LSU, like I said, three or four catches, maybe 40 or 50 yards. I think that would be a successful debut for Jalen Brooks. But obviously, huge news, a shot in the arm for this offense, and I'm very, very excited to see number 81 on the field. All right, let's go ahead. With that being said, we're talking the LSU game. Let's dive into the LSU game. Before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Yardware because today's show is brought to you by Yardware. Guys, Yardware is a veteran-owned and operating company licensed by the University of South Carolina selling must-have Carolina yard and wall signs. These signs are awesome, by the way, and they're extremely high quality because they're made out of 12-gauge laser-cut steel, and they come in both garnet and black. So whatever color you're fancy, you can get. Football season's in full swing. The holidays are right around the corner, believe it or not. We got Christmas coming up right after Halloween. We're going to get in the Christmas season. You're You're probably already seeing Christmas stuff at the stores and Christmas music is starting to be played by some people, which is kind of crazy, but Christmas is right around the corner. Guys, this is a must have for any Gamecock fan, whether, and if you don't get it for yourself, you're messing up because again, mine in my studio, it look, every time I look at it, I'm like, dude, this thing is so awesome. Any Gamecock fan would want this, get it for yourself, get it for that Gamecock fan in your life. Like I said, if you want to get it for the holidays, if you want to get it as a gift, it's fairly priced at $34.95. It's a great stocking stuffer, if you will, but this thing is absolutely awesome. You can put it in your studio. You can put it in your office, garage, man cave. You can put it anywhere in your house, living room, because like I said, it's a really nice, high-quality piece. You can put it anywhere. You can put it in your yard, obviously. So again, it's a must-have for any Gamecock fan. You can order yours today at yardwaresigns.com. That is yardwaresigns.com. And be sure to check them out on social media as well. And you guys can see the pictures I put up of my Yardware sign that is hanging out in my studio. But again, that's YardwareSigns.com, YardwareSigns.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. All right, let's dive into this game, and boy, is it a big one. And is it a big one? Because I'm going to be there. (laughs) But it's a big one. 7 o'clock kick on ESPN. The Gamecocks taking on the LSU Tigers in Baton Rouge at Tiger Stadium, or AKA as Gamecock fans know it, the real Death Valley. So, I normally talk about the line or just mention the line because I spend the entire Wednesday show talking best bet and stuff like that. But get this, guys. LSU is still a a six-and-a-half-point favorite, but because of the uncertainty at quarterback for LSU, the over-under, since it was released on Sunday, has dropped five points. The over-under is now at 55-and-a-half. It dropped two points alone on Wednesday. So like I told you guys Wednesday, like I told you yesterday, my best bet was the under, and boy, the Vegas Sharp sure do think so as well. So if you still can, get after the under. But again, LSU about damn near a, a touchdown favorite, six-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under set at 55-and-a-half. The series history in this one, very similar to last week, by the way, where South Carolina has not had a ton of success in it. LSU leads the series 18-2-1. and one. The last time they met was 2015. LSU won the game 45-24. to 24. If you guys remember, that's when the, the hurricane came or whatever, whatever. South Carolina was supposed to play them at Williams-Brice. They moved the game to Baton Rouge. And I meant to mention, by the way, in the series history, South Carolina has two wins. The last time the Gamecocks beat LSU was 1994 in Baton Rouge in a a rainstorm. That game is actually on YouTube, by the way, if you want to watch it. But South Carolina beat LSU 18-17. Stanley Pritchett with the go-ahead touchdown. And then an interception late to 
Terry Cousin. I was trying to think the name. I was like, God, I can't believe I'm going to forget this name. Terry Cousin with the late pick to seal that game. Steve Tannehill was the starting quarterback. So that's the last time South Carolina beat LSU. It's been since 1994. And I think the time before that, South Carolina beat him, it was 1930. So these teams haven't played a ton, but there hasn't been a lot, a lot of success. And there have been memorable games. You think over the years, 2007, you think of the fake field goal. You think of 2012 when South Carolina wore the uh, the battle gray uniforms, and we all know that game. That was the week after the Gamecocks beat Georgia 35-7. to That one came down to the wire. You were just unable to beat them. So the Gamecocks with a big opportunity. Again, you beat Auburn last year. If you beat LSU, it'd be the first time South Carolina has ever beaten Auburn and LSU in the same season, by the way. So the Gamecocks with another opportunity to do something that really hasn't been done at all or a lot around here before so that's all you can ask for LSU breakdown really quickly their head coach Ed Orgeron obviously the LSU Tigers are the defending national champions coming off that national championship that perfect season last year um right now though this start of their season has not been exactly what they drew up so as you guys probably know they lost a ton from that national title team last year I mean they lost everybody and I think it was 14 NFL draft picks or something like that they I mean they lost a slew of dudes. Basically, every single starter they had is gone. Right now, they're one and two. They have losses to Mississippi State, which if you guys remember week one, Mississippi State threw for like 7,000 yards in that first game. And then lost to Missouri, which that one was the real head scratcher. In between that, they were able to beat Vanderbilt. They beat them by the exact same score that Sal Connor did, 41-7. to And they were off last week due to COVID with Florida. The Florida Gators obviously dealing with their coronavirus issues and stuff like that. So LSU is actually coming off a quote-unquote bye week, not a planned bye week, but a COVID bye week. Um, so if we'll, we'll see if that factors in or helps LSU out at all. But some, some interesting numbers from LSU. So they've had success early on this season offensively. There's no question. They've averaged 38 points per game and 370 yards per game passing. So 38 points per game and 370 through the air yards per game. But defensively, they have been a nightmare, giving up 32 points per game and 380 yards per game passing. And I, again, I, I know that maybe is skewed a little bit because of that week one matchup, but Mizzou threw it all over him as well. So Mizzou threw it all over the field. So again, LSU kind of trying to adjust to life without a lot of their All-Americans, a lot of their big playmakers. I mean, they lost Joe Burrow. They lost Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, they lost... Uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase opted out. You know, and then defense, they lost Thaddeus Moss. And defensively, they lost basically everybody. They lost everybody. I mean, um, Grant Delpit, who is one of the best defensive backs in the country. Jacob Phillips, who is one of the best linebackers in the country. They lost everybody. But they do return some talent. They do return some players. Let's jump into top storylines really quickly. And this is one of the biggest ones. And obviously, we're following this day by day for sure, and it's been updated. But it is looking more and more like LSU starting quarterback Miles Brennan will miss the game on Saturday. And this is, you know, I'm recording this show, obviously, Wednesday afternoon. Um, recording this show Wednesday afternoon. I want to read you guys. This is the latest update from Ed Orgeron on Miles Brennan. He says, Ed Orgeron says the LSU quarterback is, quote, very questionable for the game. He's still not 100%. He suggests both freshman quarterbacks will play, and he's not sure which one is going to start. I also read something else that, you know, Ed Orgeron said, and basically he said it there, but he's not optimistic that Miles Brennan is going to play. So Miles Brennan health going into this football game, 
I say it's got to be the top storyline. You know, how does that affect this game? Again, you've already seen it in the over-under. The total has dropped by five points since Sunday when the line came out, and it dropped two points alone after those comments were made on Wednesday. I think it is obviously a huge factor. And here's the thing. Even if Miles Brennan can go, even if he tries to go, because it's a lower body injury, and it sounds like it's pretty severe. You know, they already said he would not have played last weekend against Florida, and he's still dealing with it here on a Wednesday, or excuse me, here on a Thursday, the game being on Saturday. So what is the status of Miles Brennan, and will LSU have to turn to a pair of true freshman quarterbacks that have never played in an SEC game, TJ Finley and Max Johnson, I'm very intrigued. And then again, if Miles Brennan tries to tough it out and does play, I mean, how healthy is he really? So you're either going to get a banged up Miles Brennan or he's not going to play at all. And I think obviously that is going to factor this football game immensely. My next big, big key storyline, and I talked about it earlier, so I'll, I'll be brief with it, but Jalen Brooks, the impact of Jalen Brooks. You know, again, we've talked about this Gamecocks offense and the last two weeks have been great. You know, winning makes everything better. You beat Vanderbilt the way you should have. You beat an Auburn team at home, top 15 win. Everything's better when you win, right? And that's all fine and dandy and great. But the thing that's been still a little bit concerning to me, and listen, South Carolina offensively, they know their identity. You have Colin Hill. That's all great and dandy and shots miss balling out. But you still are kind of scratching your head looking for that number two guy. Who, who, is, who is that number two wide receiver on the outside? Jalen Brooks, obviously, like I talked earlier with the news, he is eligible. Could he be that guy for South Carolina that, like I said, not even is like a, you know, not as, it's not like he's, he's going to be Brian Edwards. It's not like we're asking to be Alshon Jeffrey or Sidney Rice. Can he just simply be another reliable option for Colin Hill and take the pressure off of Shai Smith? Again, this is going to be his first SEC game, so I don't want to loft any crazy expectations on him going in this football game. But what type of impact, what type of impact can Jalen Brooks have in his first game for South Carolina? How does he change the dynamic of this offense? And you look at LSU defensively. I mean, you look at LSU. Yes, they have Derek Stingley Jr., who I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this show. But their secondary has been very suspect. Like I said, guys, they are giving up 380 yards per game through the air. So you have to think there are going to be some opportunities for Jalen Brooks. There are going to be opportunities for Shaw Smith. There are going to be opportunities for Colin Hill. South Carolina should be able to have a fairly decent day passing the football. Again, I don't think the Gamecocks are going to go completely you know, away from their identity. I think they're going to try to establish the run, all that good stuff. But there's going to be opportunities for a guy like Jalen Brooks in his first SEC game ever to have an immediate impact. What type of impact does he have? And does maybe his presence, how much does it improve the South kind of offense? That'll be a big thing to watch as well. My other top storyline, this is a game, guys. You know, I talked about it last week, and I'm going to talk about it again this week and even more so amplify it. Selfishly, as a football fan, if you're or if you're someone that follows the NFL draft and because I got a, a couple of buddies like this, you know, they love to make up mock drafts and they love to evaluate prospects and stuff like that. Boy, if you are one of those people, this is going to be a fantastic game to watch on the outside. And I'm going to talk about these matchups because, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but they are my key matchups to watch. I mean, we're talking Terrence Marshall at wide receiver for LSU and J.C. Horn, the defensive back for South Carolina. And then the other side, Shai Smith, the receiver for South Carolina, going up against Derek Stingley Jr., which for LSU, which is one of the best, if not the best defensive back in the entire country. The matchups on the outside in this one 
are going to go a long, and I mean a long way in determining the outcome of this football game. But like I said, selfishly, as a football fan, I said the same thing last week when Seth Williams and J.C. Horn went toe-to-toe against one another. Selfishly, as a football fan, I cannot wait to watch this game. I cannot wait to watch this game and watch these matchups on the outside. The matchups on the outside, the premier matchups, are definitely a big storyline to watch in this football game as well. Another big storyline for me, Yes, South Carolina went on the road, played in Gainesville. It was a noon game, whatever. To me, this is the first true big-time road test for Colin Hill. Gamecocks quarterback, again, had kind of a pedestrian weekend last weekend against Auburn. Nothing crazy. I think it was like 15 for 24, but only, you know, threw for less than 200, a TD and a pick. How does Colin Hill, and I, I think he'll handle it beautifully, but I'm very intrigued to see the demeanor of Colin Hill travel and go on the road in Baton Rouge. Like I taught Alex McGrath, you know, he talked about his experience there because he played there in 2007 and, you know, whatever. Listen, it's going to be a 20% capacity crowd. Um, it's not going to be a normal LSU game. But still, the fact of the matter is you're going on the road to Baton Rouge, playing in Death Valley at night. And, and teams, I know this LSU team is not LSU teams of the past. They're certainly not the LSU team from last year. But teams just don't simply go into LSU at night and win. Most of the time when you see teams do that, they look flustered, they look out of sorts, you know, they let the atmosphere get to them. This year you have the steady hand of Colin Hill. He has been steady Eddie. There has been no roller coaster effect with him. I feel like he's been the same exact guy week after week after week. But again, I don't think a nooner in the swamp compares to what we're what South Carolina is going to see as a team and what Colin Hill is going to experience as the starting quarterback for South Carolina when he goes into Death Valley on Saturday night. So how does he handle that? Again, I expect him to handle it well. I expect him to give us a very Colin Hill-type performance. I expect him to be the guy we've seen through the first four games, but I will be keeping an eye on Colin Hill. Just how does he handle the enormity, I guess, of the situation as far as going into Baton Rouge at night in a big-time spot and another big-time opportunity for this football team? Uh, another big thing to watch for, the health of Israel Mukwamu. The health of Israel Mukwamu. Listen, Mukwamu did practice on Tuesday, is what Will Muschamp said. It sounds like he's coming along. That's all fine and dandy. But we heard that last week, too. And it came out on game day. Izzy was not ready. He was not good to go. Heck, we heard it Thursday in the call-in show that Israel Mukwamu practiced. We heard he was fine. So can Israel Mukwamu go? Because the Gamecocks need him to play in this football game. Because the guy, and I don't have this listed in my key matchups, but one of the guys to watch for in this game is the freshman tight end for LSU, Arik Gilbert, 6'6", 245. He's a true freshman out of Marietta, Georgia, but he is a monster, if you did not hear there. Again, 6'6", 245, very much the same exact size as Kyle Pitts. Now, again, I think, you know, you saw J.C. Horn on Kyle Pitts. Arik Gilbert is a true freshman. You're not going to put J.C. Horn on Gilbert. You're going to put him on Terrence Marshall because Terrence Marshall, listen to these numbers, is their leading receiver. 21 catches for 424 yards. He's averaging 20 yards per catch, and he has seven touchdowns in two in three games. Seven touchdowns in three games. He's averaging 141 yards per game, guys. So that's who JC's going to shadow. But Arik Gilbert, their second receiver, 14 catches for 177. He's averaging 12 yards per catch, and he has two touchdowns on the year, averaging 59 yards per game. They're going to go to the tight end. I, I watched a replay of the Missouri game. They're going to go to Arik Gilbert early off, and especially 
with these young quarterbacks, because again, you assume these true freshman quarterbacks are going to be the ones that play. They're going to be looking for that safety valve because I expect JC to do his thing. I 110% expect JC Horn to do his thing. You need a guy like Israel McQuamu to match up as far as size. Again, Arik Gilbert, 6'6, 245. We all know Izzy's length, how tall he is at 6'4. What is the health of Israel McQuamu? Again, this is probably something we won't even know until kickoff, but the Gamecocks desperately need number 24 in the field. And again, you saw the secondary sort of grow up last week. I, I really thought you did. I've been really impressed with the youngsters like John Dixon, Jamie Robinson, Shiloh Sanders. I feel like these guys are starting to come along, but you need 24 out there on the field. So will he be healthy? Will he be a go Saturday night? That is definitely something to keep an eye on as we get to kickoff. My last storyline here, and again, I've mentioned it briefly a couple of times thus far, but you know, I mentioned it earlier this week on the show. As you win games, the more you win, the bigger the next game gets. Because all last week, I talked about this is a huge opportunity, the opportunity to beat Auburn and going in this football game and what it would mean and your season's going to go one of two directions and your program's going to do one of two directions, stuff like that. And I've, I've made you know brief comparisons to the win over Auburn to the win over Georgia last year, the 2019 upset over Georgia. And again, the opponents were different. You were nowhere near the underdog you were last year in that game against Auburn. But when you think about the parallels, it, it's, it's kind of eerie how, para, how, how the, the similarities you can draw from those two games. Last year, you beat Georgia. You get to 3-3 three and three or 500 if you on the season. You got six games left. And what do you do? We all know what happened. The wheels fell off, and, and you couldn't build anything off that momentum. This season, you beat Auburn, a top 15 team. You now sit at 2-2 two and two and 500. And guess what? You got six games left yet again. There are definitely things this year, first, things, first and foremost, that tell me that the wheels are not going to fall off of this thing. And I, I want to make the point, if you lose to LSU, I don't think it takes away from what you did against Auburn. I mean, again, this is, you know, this is going to be a tough game going to LSU at night. Tough road venue. LSU still has a lot of talent, especially on the outside. They've got athletes all over the field. I mean, LSU didn't just stop recruiting. You know what I mean? Like, they've got great talent on their roster. No questions asked. But you can't deny how big of an opportunity this is for this Gamecocks football team, for Will Muschamp, and for this program. Because if you beat LSU and you go into the bye week three and two, I really do feel like beating Auburn was one you had to have, okay? Beating Auburn was one you had to have, for sure. And you got it. Awesome. Congratulations. If you beat LSU, I'll be damn near ready to say you've kind of turned a corner as a program. I mean, that's, this is one of those games that South Carolina doesn't generally win, or at least these recent South Carolina football teams doesn't generally win. Can you translate the momentum and the success you've built in the last two weeks into your third straight win, beat an LSU team? Again, doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. It doesn't matter who's not there, who is. The fact of the matter will be this. You went into Baton Rouge as an underdog at night, and you won the football game. I had people ask me on the Daily Crow, oh, well, you know, if, if South Carolina wins the game and the starting quarterback's not playing, you know, people, you know, I, I don't know how to feel because it's going to, you know, it's more so Auburn and LSU sucks versus we're good. I feel like that's one of the most worn-out narratives in college football especially. Like, 
it's almost like teams that win games don't get credit. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, everybody else just sucks. Oh, Alabama just runs the table in the SEC because all the other teams suck. Oh, Clemson just runs the table because everybody sucks. And I'm not trying to just – I know Clemson's schedule is bad. I get it. But also, like, give the team that's winning the games credit. You know what I mean? Like, tip your cap to the team that's winning the football games. And so if South Carolina goes into Baton Rouge, goes into Death Valley at night and gets this win, you you can't take anything away. I don't give a damn who's playing quarterback. I don't give a damn who's not playing for them. Who I give a damn who opted out for them. Whatever. South Carolina will deserve all the credit in this scenario. And if, again, this is not normally a game that South Carolina football teams win, especially recently. So it's a huge opportunity. Like I said, you keep winning, they keep getting bigger. Hey, you win this one, guess what? That A&M game in two weeks will be massive. At home, at night, it'll be a huge game. But you got another opportunity. Again, can you translate the momentum that you've built? Because you've got a lot of positive momentum right now. A lot of positive momentum. Can you translate that? And again, it, it feel, I, I don't want to say, again, the stars feel like they're aligning. I'm not, I'm not going to use that line again necessarily this week, but you've won back-to-back games. Miles Brennan's health is in question. Jalen Brooks has been approved. It sounds like you're going to get Izzy back. Like I mean, it feels like things are kind of lining up to maybe it's going to happen again. Maybe you're going to get another big upset. It could happen. So the Gamecocks, like I said, are just presented with another major opportunity. I mean, again, if you can win this football game, if you can find a way to win this game and beat the defending national champions on their home field at night, it's it's to me, again, going to serve as one of those, maybe this program has turned the corner. Maybe, maybe it has. I mean, really, maybe it has. Maybe South Carolina football has turned the corner and is, and I'm not even saying turning the corner like, oh, go win the SEC or compete for national titles, but turn the corner in the sense of, you know, obviously Will Muschamp will be safe. There's no question. And all of your goals will be in front of you for this year. And maybe it's, it's just these type of wins. Like I've said before, like I said last week, it's these type of wins that get your program on that trajectory of we're on to bigger and better things. So again, it's a huge opportunity. And hell, if, if South Carolina goes in there and, and gets that win, I'm going to start drafting up my apology letter to Will Muschamp right now. So, because I said if they won five or more, I was going to write an apology letter and I was going to read it to all of you guys. So trust me, if, if they beat LSU, I'm going to start drafting that thing up. But again, seriously, a huge opportunity for this football team. Can you convert the positive momentum and the good vibes from the, fa- the past two weeks and go out, play your best football, play with that edge you had last week against Auburn, and get a monumental win and beat an LSU team again that you haven't beaten since 1994. Wouldn't that be something? All right, let's dive into the key matchups to watch going into Saturday's game. And like I said, these these are going to focus on the outside, guys. No question. I'm going to start with the man of the hour. He's been the man of the week, and he was certainly the man of the hour last weekend, but defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Terrence Marshall. Again, guys, we are getting spoiled as just purely football fans, because these matchups on the outside are going to be incredible to watch. We all know what J.C. did last week, the two interceptions. He helped force the third. He is playing fantastic football right now. And what a matchup this will be. Terrence Marshall, like I said, 21 catches, 424 yards. He's averaging 20 yards per catch, and he has seven, seven touchdowns in three games, guys. 
you know, I, I, I do not expect LSU to be as foolish as Auburn and, and try to force feed it to Terrence Marshall when it, you know, maybe it's going to appear again that J.C. Horn is on. I, I expect J.C. to do J.C. things. He's going to have his day. He's going to have a good day no matter what. Um, I will be interested to see how LSU tries to get Terrence Marshall. How can Do they try to get creative, get him the ball in space? Because obviously, again, he is their big play threat. He is their big-time playmaker. And if LSU has any shot to win the football game, they're going to have to go to him. I mean, there's just no way they can they can let J.C. Horn eliminate Terrence Marshall. And again, on the flip side, J.C. showed what he's capable of last week. He's a first-round talent. He's an All-American caliber defensive back. That is going to be a fantastic matchup to watch on the outside. Again, defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Terrence Marshall. My second key matchup to watch, Gamecocks head coach Will Muschamp against the two true freshman quarterbacks in T.J. Finley and Max Johnson. Like I said, Miles Brennan, I'm just going to go ahead and assume right now he's going to be out because all signs are pointing to that Miles Brennan is going to miss this football game, which means, and Ed Orgeron said it, both of these true freshmen are going to play, T.J. Finley and Max Johnson. And guys, neither one of them have ever played in an SEC football game. You look, take a look at T.J. Finley. He is from... Ponchatoula, Louisiana, I think that's how you say that. T.J. Finley, 6'6", 257, true freshman. And then Max Johnson from Watkinsville, Georgia. He is 6'4", 211. So a pair of true freshmen, and they're obviously talented players. They went to LSU. They're on scholarship. They're not a bunch of bums out there. But I'm very, very curious to see what does Will Muschamp and Travaris Robinson, what, do, what does that defensive staff, what type of game plan do they dial up? Because I, I have to think, Will Muschamp and T-Rob and the defensive staff, they've got to be licking their chops at the thought of, hey, we have got a true freshman quarterback. Our secondary look like they're playing much better now. We've got, like I mentioned earlier, they got these young guys starting to come along. We're going to get Israel McQuamu back. We might have the best defensive back, arguably, on the field in J.C. Horn. You know, our front seven's playing well. We're getting pressure on the quarterback. J.J. Ningbari is causing havoc for opposing quarterbacks. I will be very intrigued to see the game plan that Will Muschamp dials up. Because, again, we all know he's a defensive-minded head coach. He's a quote-unquote defensive guru. And I know I said I'd never say that again, but he is a defensive guy. There's no question. I am very, very excited, very intrigued. I'm very curious just what is Will Muschamp? What do Will Muschamp and T-Rob have up their sleeve for these young true freshman quarterbacks? Because I have to imagine they're going to try to send pressures. They're going to try to send blitzes. They're going to try to do stunts up front. They're going to try to do everything in their power to cause havoc and get the football off of these true freshman quarterbacks. So, again, Will Muschamp against the true freshman quarterbacks. And then my final key matchup to watch in this football game, we got to head back outside, and I already talked about it already, but wide receiver Shai Smith against defensive back Derek Stingley Jr. Guys, if you're unfamiliar with Derek Stingley Jr., this dude is a baller. He is a bona fide stud. He is legitimate. He is J.C. Horn level, if not even a little bit better, which I know for Gamecock fans, that may sound blasphemous, but this dude is legit. He is a legitimate baller. He's a legitimate playmaker. On the other side, you talk about Shy Smith. You talk about Shy Smith. And again, we're spoiled as football fans. We are spoiled as football fans because we get the opportunity to watch two guys that I'm expecting to play on Sundays. There is no question. We're going to see two guys that are going to play on Sundays. Obviously, Shy Smith, we all know what he's done. He has been Colin Hill's favorite target, and he has been the go-to guy in this offense. What he did last week against Auburn, 
phenomenal. And what he continues to do, because you know it's so funny. I've said week after week after week since the first game that all, you know, there's no way this defensive coordinator is going to let us force feed it to Shy Smith. There's no way we're just going to be able to force feed it to Shy Smith here. I'm not going to say that this week. Because, hell, I don't know. Because I, I really did not think against Florida he would get the amount of catches he got. I didn't think against Auburn he'd get the amount of catches he got. And I know Derek Stingley's legit, but I just at this point, man, it feels like they're going to find – one of two things are going to happen. Number one, they're going to find creative ways to get Shy Smith the football. And number two – Shaw Smith has just proven he's good enough to win his matchups. He, he's just good enough to win his one-on-one matchup. So I'm going to give my give credit where credit's due to Shaw Smith. But this will be a really, really fun one to watch because if you can't get Shy Smith going, I know Jalen Brooks is eligible now, but I just feel like for this South kind of offense to click on all cylinders, you got to find ways to get Shy Smith going. Again, how do they attack Derek Stingley? And he's a guy – Similar to J.C. Horn, I don't think you want to go his way one too many times. You know what I mean? So I expect the Gamecocks to respect Derek Stingley Jr. on that side. But this is going to be, like I said, another fantastic matchup to watch on the outside. Wide receiver Shy Smith against defensive back Derek Stingley Jr. All right, let's get into our keys to the game, the TSUS keys to the game. I'm going to start first things first. Like I said, this Gamecocks offense has an identity, right? We can talk about Jalen Brooks. We can talk about Shai Smith and the pass-catching options and Nick Muse and, and Colin Hill throwing the ball. But this offense has an identity, and it goes through Kevin Harris. So my first key to the game is ride the bus. Ride the bus, baby. If you don't, if you don't know by now, Kevin Harris's nickname is the bus by his teammates. Ride the bus. It has not led you astray yet. This offense works better, obviously, when they, they can run the football. And a big credit to Mike Bobo. He's been stingy in the run, even when it hasn't worked early in game. You haven't seen Mike Bobo go away from it. And I think that's what we saw the past couple of years as far as South County. You know, we, it, it wouldn't work early, and you go away. And Will Muschamp talks about being stingy with the run game. I think you've seen Mike Bobo do that. And Kevin Harris is a guy, again, what he's done has been phenomenal. I, he has been a pleasant surprise as we've talked. But he's established himself by this point as, again, truly RB1 and one of the better running backs in the SEC, I think, at least to this point. Ride the bus. It has not led you astray yet. He had a very workmanlike performance last week, 25 for 83, just over three yards per carry, but again, very workmanlike. And he is a guy that can wear down a defense. And when South Carolina is able to run the football, it simply open up the, opens up the passing game. So again, my first key to the game, go with what's working, baby. Ride the bus. My second key to the game, and this one might actually, I don't know if it'll surprise you guys because I, I, I told you guys that I expected him to have a pedestrian game, if you will, or, you know, nothing crazy in his first start. But my second key to the game is this. Jalen Brooks just got approved. And we've been talking about this offense has been looking for a number two option outside, outside of Shy Smith. My second key to the game, get Brooks involved. You've got to get Jalen Brooks involved. Now you got him. You've been clamoring for him to get his eligibility. Now you have him. It is going to take off. So much pressure off of Shy Smith. Again, you don't need Jalen Brooks to have a huge game. You don't need him to go eight catches for 120 yards and three touchdowns. Like, you don't need that kind of game from him. You get it, that's fantastic. Hey, if you get that type of game, by all means, that's awesome. But if you can just get three or four catches out of him, 30 to 40 yards, and just make LSU's defense account for somebody else outside, that I really, truly believe that's going to help the running game, that's going to help Colin Hill, and it's going to help this offense as a whole immensely. So again, you finally got him approved. Now use him. My second key to the game, get Brooks involved. My third key to the game, 
And I talked about Will Muschamp against the freshman quarterbacks. And again, no Miles Brennan. It is going to be freshman quarterbacks for LSU. Okay? It is going to be freshman quarterbacks. And I talked last week, one of my keys was not getting, not just getting pressure on Bo Nix, but getting pressure with four. Getting pressure with four guys and helping, being able to drop guys back and help out your secondary to guard against those weapons that Auburn had on the outside. In this one, with the true freshman quarterbacks, I'm changing that up a little bit. It's still getting pressure on the quarterback. My third key to the game is bring the heat. Dude, bring the heat, okay? Because we we know what happens when South Carolina is able to get the football off of people and they're able to get turnovers. Very good things happen for South Carolina. Very, very good things happen. And last week showed you that if you can get heat on a quarterback, if you can make him make split decisions, South Carolina's got good enough DBs to make you pay. Again, We've all been critical of him at times. We've all been been harsh on him at times. The play early on was very questionable. But what you saw from J.C. Horn, again, these young guys coming along with John Dixon, Shiloh Sanders, Jamie Robinson, how well those guys are playing, and you get Izzy back, you know, put the pressure on these guys. Make these guys beat you. Make these young quarterbacks make split decisions. And like I said, I'm very intrigued to see the game plan that Will Muschamp and T-Rob dial up. Because, again, you know they've got to just be licking their chops. I mean, you you know they've got to be licking your chop, their, their chops. So, again, bring the heat. Put the pressure on these young freshman quarterbacks. So, again, keys to the game. Ride the bus. Get Brooks involved and bring the heat. So, that's it, guys, for me. For my LSU breakdown, I will give my official prediction on tomorrow's show. So, if you're waiting – you're wondering, Chris, who you picking, South Carolina or LSU? Wait till tomorrow. The Friday show, I will put it out there. I will publish my prediction as the Gamecocks take on the LSU Tigers in Baton Rouge. And if you can't tell, because I have to tell you guys, this has probably been one of the better shows I feel like I've done in a while. I'm fired up. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Everything's better when winning right. And hopefully the Gamecocks, like I said earlier, can take this positive momentum and turn it into three straight wins. All right, we got a voicemail to get into your listener questions, and then we're going to dive in this interview. So let's go ahead and play this voicemail real quick. Hey, Chris, this is Tim. I'm really excited for the game this weekend against LSU, especially after our huge dub this weekend. I'm still riding high off that. And I think like most people, I am a little nervous, a little, little cautious about this weekend because of South Carolina's history after a big win. And I think the one thing I'm taking a little solace in is that for the first time in a while, really in the Will Muschamp era, we have someone who actually knows what they're doing in the offensive coordinator's job. Mike Bobo has shown that he can call a great game. He can make adjustments. He's getting the most out of this personnel group. And every time we have the ball, I'm not necessarily thinking we're going to score, but I can say that we're going to have a sustained drive. And at a minimum, we're going to flip the field on these guys. And I take good solace in that. So, I'm still cautious. I'm still a little nervous, but I'm cautiously optimistic. And especially if the injury situation that we're hearing out of Baton Rouge is true and Miles Brennan can't go, that would be a big break, a big break for the Gamecocks. And the last thing I want to say is we got Kevin Harris. He's the man. We got the muscle hamster. You know, I think Colin Hill deserves a nickname. Here's a guy that's come in and really has won over clearly the team. He's won over a lot of the fans. He's won over me. Coming from Colorado State, he's a Ram. He's got the beard, the long hair. How about the rugged ram or the redneck ram? I don't give a, I don't give a crap, but I think he needs something. Uh, let's get that going. Let's get that trending. But I'm really excited for this Saturday. Go Cox, beat the Tigers. 
Tim, appreciate the voicemail. What do you guys think? Colin Hill, does he need a nickname? And if so, what should it be? The Rugged Ram or the Redneck Ram or something else? I've been calling him Steady Eddie because I, I really view him as like he is just that steady hand that is controlling this offense. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. What, what do you guys think? I, I'd love to hear, like, what do you think the nickname should be? If he should have – I mean, I, I think it'd be cool for him to have one. What What should Colin Hill's nickname be? I uh, – I don't know, maybe cool and collected Colin Hill. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you got to come up with something better than that. But if you guys have a response, leave it in the comments, tweet it, whatever. I, I'd love to hear. Um, what What do you guys think? What do you think? What do you guys think Colin Hill's nickname should be? Because we got the bus for Kevin Harris, right? We've got the bus. But Colin Hill, maybe maybe Colin Hill does need a nickname. Who knows? All right, let's go ahead, Tim, again. Appreciate the voice, man. Cautious optimism. Cautious optimism is very good. I like the way you worded that. We are all cautiously optimistic right now, wondering what in the world is going to happen this weekend. So very excited. All right, let's go ahead and dive in your listener questions. Cameron.Franklin07, how do you think JC will do against Marshall if that's his assignment? Number one, I think it will be his assignment. And I think JC Horn will have a very much JC game. Again, it's foolish to think Terrence Marshall won't have a few catches. And we saw Seth Williams have a few cut catches as well. But I, I expect JC to lock down his side of the field, no question. Um <clears throat> Krusty Andy, is this the perfect storm for USC to beat LSU? Quarterback out, limited capacity, LSU not very good this year. Hey, I mean, like I said, it kind of feels that way. It kind of feels like maybe the stars are aligning yet again. Like I said, I, I'm hesitant to use that exact same terminology talking about this, but overall, I am very, very much on the edge of my seat to see if that'll be the case. Yeah, but it, it feels that way, doesn't it? It feels that way. Um, Ethan.Cook47, do you think LSU sells out for the run and forces, up to, forces us to beat them through the air? Well, you, you generally you would think that, but I don't know. Man. Dude, their secondary has been so bad. Their secondary has been terrible. So I don't feel like, dude, even with our limited options on the outside, again, you do get Jalen Brooks, but um, – even with our limited options on the outside, I'm not sure how good of an idea that would be if you're LSU because they have gotten absolutely exposed in the secondary. So maybe they'll do that. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But I don't know. I, I, I'd say bring it on. Let's see if we can pass on them. Um, D-Robe S4, any update on LSU quarterback Miles Brennan? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 50-50 at absolute best. He's very questionable. I, I honestly highly doubt he plays. Uh, let's see. W.M. Thames, what do you see different in this game than 2015? Oh, my God, where do you start? Uh, well, this game wasn't supposed to be played in Columbia. They had Leonard Fournette in 2015, and South Carolina was terrible. So, yeah, I would not draw any parallels between the two games. Uh, Hayes underscore Mar 7, if we beat LSU, do you think we'll be ranked? 110% yes. Let's see. Emory Moore Jr., the BBC is 1-0 versus top 15 opponents. That is a great point. The big bronze cock in front of Williams-Brice Stadium is 1-0 against top 15 opponents. That is such a good point. Thank you for bringing that up and make, giving me a good laugh. Um, Andrew underscore the underscore textbook. How many points must the offense score at the very least to win? At the very least, I'd say 24. You can't score less than 24 and win this football game. Um SP.Stevenson, if LSU court starting quarterback is out, how much does that raise the chance of a win? I mean, I think certainly it's going to help. I mean, there's no question. It's going to help immensely. I mean, it's it's certainly going to – I'll be very curious to see if it changes the point spread at all because it hasn't yet.
But yeah, I mean, if, if Brennan's out, that, that's going to play a major, major role in this football game. So um, Ryland underscore nine, which position group has to step up in order to win? I would say the Gamecocks offensive line. And, and they've played good as far as run blocking, but you have to be able to pass block. And I, I just... I just think the South Carolina offensive line, they've got to be able to keep Colin Hill upright, and they've got to be able to move the chains and run the football. So I'd say the offensive line. Um, David underscore Barnes, 76. Unicombo this weekend. I think either big game Garnet or 1984's throwbacks. I, I think they'll go Garnet helmet, black jersey, white pants. I, for some reason, I think that'll be the combination. So, yeah, maybe the 84 throwback. Maybe that'll be it. Uh, let's see. Scott D. Lawson having Keir Thomas back on the defensive line made a noticeable difference last Saturday. I agree. He was a beast. Um, let's see. Emma.m.sully. Does Colin Hill stay another year since this is a free year eligibility? That is yet to be seen. I mean, does he want to try the NFL waters and probably sign as a free agent? Maybe, but if he's not tired of being in college, I don't see why he would not come back. Gamecocks today. If the Cox beat LSU this weekend, do they have a case to be in the top 25? Absolutely. I think they will be ranked if they do. Uh, let's see. G hold three in underscore three. Does our offense have its most explosive game against the bad LSU defense or does it struggle? I think somewhere in between. I don't think you're going to see 41 points like you did against Vandy, but I, I think the South kind of offense will do okay. I, I think they'll be all right. Um, and he also asked, do you think Leggett finally scores a touchdown? I don't know. That's, that's really tough to say, to be honest. I'm going to probably go with no. I'm going to go with no. TGH underscore three. Do we wear new gray unis this week? I didn't see a lot of people have been clamoring for the battle grays to return in some capacity. I don't see it happening. I just, I just do not see it happening. So if you, if you're holding your breath for the battle gray uniforms, again, I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. So, um, and we've got, let's see, we've got two more questions from Twitter. Actually, Terrence Harris, does Shai Smith get 10 or more receptions Saturday? I'm going to go less than 10. You got Jalen Brooks now. There's no need for him to get 10 catches. So I'm going to go under 10 as far as catches for Shai Smith. And the last question, X-Man, what should we do on offense to give this team a chance in Death Valley? It feels too early to say that for obvious reasons. Um, I continue to do what you've been doing. I mean, establish the run with Kevin Harris. Let it open up the pass. Again, obviously go to Shy Smith, but use Jalen Brooks. Like I said before, get Brooks involved, get him the football. But yeah, I mean, stick with what you've been doing. You know, I expect Mike Boba to have a solid game plan, have have a solid uh, plan ready to attack this LSU defense. But I don't think you need to change a lot um, to get this thing going. I mean, you need your line to play well. You need Colin Hill to be steady. Have a Colin Hill game play maybe a little bit better. But overall, I. I Hey, the blueprint has worked for you. The blueprint has worked, so I'd say continue to do that. So um, appreciate the questions, guys. Appreciate you interacting as always. And now we move into our interview. We do have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Rakevius Watkins. So Rakevius Watkins, 9 to 11. He blocked for Marcus Lattimore. Um, was on the team that went to the SEC championship. Was on the 2011 team that beat Nebraska, won 11 games. We have a fantastic conversation. Rock Watkins, a lot of people forget about these offensive linemen, but He's one of the best to come through South Carolina. Also played in the NFL, was a fifth-round draft pick in 2012. So he more he, he was a fantastic player. And I'll tell you this, talking to Rock, he's a fantastic dude as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy this interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Guys, Southern Oaks Remodeling, locally and family-owned, over 15 years of experience. They specialize in roofing, windows, door siding, and additions, and they're serving the greater Columbia area. Guys, I really pride myself, by the way, 
on the sponsors and the people that I partner with in regards to my business. And it really comes down to the people. Are they going to take care of the people that consume my content that are going to use their services? I can say I've had the privilege to meet the guys in charge of Southern Oaks Remodeling and what they do and kind of get an inside look. Fantastic people. They are fantastic people first and foremost. And I really do feel like that is the difference when it comes to Southern Oaks Remodeling. Like I said, locally and family owned. They've got over 15 years of experience. So you know that they know what they're doing. They're serving the greater Columbia area. So like I said, if you're in this area, be sure to check them out. And they do a little bit of everything. Roofing, windows, door siding, additions. If you've got a remodeling project you've been putting off, now is the time to do it again. If you're in the Columbia area, be sure to give them a call or check them out. Southern Oaks Remodeling. That's Southern Oaks Remodeling. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. All right. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Rokevious Watkins. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2009 to 2011. In 2010, when the Gamecocks went to the SEC championship, he started all 14 games. And then in 2011, he was named to the All-SEC first team. In professional football, he played for the Rams and the Chiefs and did start an NFL game during his career. I'm very pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks offensive lineman, Rakevius Watkins. Rakevius, appreciate you taking the time, and it's a pleasure to have you on. No problem, man. You know, like I said, it's always a pleasure, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rakevius, I want to start with you, or for the beginning for you. Let's go back to the beginning. You're a kid from Fairburn, Georgia, um, and you took the uh, JUCO route. You went to Georgia military, then went on, signed with South Carolina, came to Columbia and played two seasons for the Gamecocks. Just talk about your recruitment out of high school. I know you had a lot of offers coming out of high school, but talk about your recruitment out of high school. Again, went to Creekside High School in Fairburn, Georgia, um, graduated in 07. But talk about your recruitment, why you chose to go that route, and then kind of what led you to South Carolina. Well, man, I was kind of a guy to get slow on the wagon as far as uh, books and education goes, so I had to take the JUCO route. Um, in high school, I, I had a bunch of offers. You know, a lot of mid-majors, some power five. I ended up signing to UAB. Mm-hmm. Now, once I got to UAB, I found out that I was a non-qualifier, so that was that's what led me to uh, Georgia military. Um, in a Georgia military in like March of 2008 and finished up in August 2009 and the rest was history man it was it was South Carolina game cops from then on so we we all see like the last chance you stuff you know what I mean like Juco football like how and I'm sure you you've at least seen clips of it or maybe you watched it how much of that is reality and how much of it is is fabricated because I mean you talk to anybody I've had other guys on the show that played you know the Juco route they went I I think I may have had some guys that went Georgia military but either way they talk about just the grind you know I mean you really got to love football you you got to truly love it because it's not the it's not the flashy with the gear it's not D1 it's not the 80,000 fans like it's it's just you basically just trying to get a trying to get an offer I mean what what's how much truth I guess is there to the last chance you stuff and I guess what's the life like of a, a Juco football player well, I think I think with a, a JUCO football player, man, football is always going to be football no matter what level you play on. Um, the thing about it is it's the stuff that's around it. So when you've been, you've been a JUCO football player, again, it's just you. Um, it's uh, it's a daily grind as far as going, having the, the capacity in your brain to get up every day and want to do it. Because once you get there, man, it's like no – it's none of the – uh, Nike stuff. It's none of the um, all the gear you getting, and, and you know the five star meals. You know it's gonna be some bologna and cheese nights. It's probably gonna <laughs> be bologna and cheese nights and pizza nights. So 
um, just that alone on the outside and being able to stay focused. Like I said, the football is what keeps you going, though, because that's just going to be the same. And that's what kind of got me through um, at Georgia military, man. The military stuff was my biggest adjustment. It was just um, taking orders from guys. I'm 6'4", 6'5", 300-some pounds, and this guy is 5'7", 160. He's been waiting all his life to tell me what to do. So <laughs> that, that, that's just getting over that adjustment. But, again, if you apply the principle of knowing what you want to do and sticking with the football, man, you'll get through it. Yeah, I was going to say, what what did you learn the most playing at Georgia Military? Because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, there have been some good Gamecocks, especially, that have come through there. I'm thinking specifically the Brinkley brothers, Jasper and Casper Brinkley, that were big-time ballers at South Carolina. I mean, what what do you think those two years at the JUCO level did for you personally and on the field as a football player as well? Uh, me, I just um, – I honestly learned how to play the game of football in JUCO, man. I, I was just out there playing off just raw athleticism and the will to play, but I understood what I was doing and why I was doing it once I got to Georgia military. And uh, on the other side of it, it was the discipline. Again, I hated the military stuff, but I, mm-hmm. I got to give props where they do. That put me in a whole different state of mind for when I got to South Carolina. I was able to get up on time. I was able to make my workouts on time and keep everything kind of squared away just based off of the military training. So, For sure. So you got to South Carolina at a really interesting time, and I want to hear more about your recruitment and just why you chose South Carolina because obviously Steve Spurrier there – um, Carolina was kind of building up to what we saw you guys do in 2010, 2011, and then just beyond that. But just talk about the recruiting process as a whole. Like, when did South Carolina come up for you? Did it come down to a couple other schools and just why you chose the Gamecocks overall? Um, well, the game, believe it or not, the Gamecocks was my only SEC offer. I had a couple other offers while I was in JUCO, mm-hmm. but I was still committed to UAB, so my recruitment was kind of closed. Um, right. I, I had Michigan State, Oklahoma, those guys like that, but I wasn't really trying to go that far out, nor was I – I wanted to play SEC football. That was just point of my period. So, funny story, um, Coach Spurrier came to Georgia Military to, tea, uh, to see – I don't think you – I don't know if you remember Josh Dickerson, Tony Strada, that whole line. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yep, yep, yep. I so he came to that. see those guys, and I was at practice. Mm. And I guess I just caught his eye, and – once Coach Williams realized that they were interested, we kind of did something funny. We went, we ran a, he said, he told me in the huddle, he said, hey, Coach Perry, you're going to love this. I'm going to get you to a I'm like, all right, bet. We in the huddle, he say, we're going to run a left tackle screen pack. So, Rock, I want you to let the end up field. I want you to fan out, catch the ball, and find the open man in the back of the end zone. And I literally ran this play through the touchdown. And Coach Perry, when I tell you this is the first time I ever seen that man throw his visor, Without being upset, that that sealed the deal. So he it kind of got him interested in me. He knew I was a fun guy, and once he figured out that I was a fun guy, man, and, and the, like I said, the rest was history. I was to say he loved that celebrity touchdown pass in the spring game. So I guess it doesn't really shouldn't surprise anybody. He was a fan of that. Don't surprise me one bit. Man. Yeah, he was fan of the big man touchdown for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you you talk a little bit about Spurrier, and I'm curious again. I know that relationship probably evolved while you're there because again. You get there in 2009, you redshirt that first year, and then you were a key contributor in 2010 and 11 on those teams that, again, won the SEC East in 10 and then 11, first team to win 11 games. Just talk about Steve Spurrier, that relationship with him, how that evolved. I mean, again, I, I, I've i had it's, – it's been so interesting having different guys on, you know, talking to DJ last week, and I've had offensive guys on that have played basically every position under him. And it seems like every guy – 
the relationship's a little bit different. Like the dynamic's a little bit different. Obviously, if you're a quarterback, it's a lot different than if maybe if you're an offensive lineman or if you're a defensive guy. But what was that relationship like between you and Spurrier and really with Spurrier in the offensive line group? Well, me, me and Spurrier had a great relationship, man. He stayed on my tail because, you know, like I said, I, I would skew off a path sometimes, and he always kept me straight. But as far as me and, uh, you know, my guy Terrence Cameron, man, shout out to my guy. I'm proud of him. He had to mm-hmm. doing big things in San Jose. But uh, me and him were kind of like the two guys he looked at on the offensive line who brought a little flavor. So I remember <laughs> he, he told me one time he was so mad at me, man. I used to wear like this rough look, like just mm-hmm. the big nap, nappy hair, nappy mm-hmm. hair, um, facial hair and stuff. I go get a haircut and he was really mad. Like, bro, bro Eve, I, I thought you were one of those scruffy guys. Like, what, what, what you doing cleaning up? And it, so I felt like to me, I felt like I was like his muscle, man. That, I felt like I was his cool. Like anytime he wanted to get something done, that's running the football, that's in the locker room. You, you did the dirty work. You did all the dirty work for him. Exactly, exactly. And I love that about him, man. He, he took me for who I am. He took what I do best and made and, and let let me showcase it on and off the field, man. And I forever, he'll forever have my love for that. No, for sure. So again, like I said, you get on campus 2009 and you redshirted after transferring. Talk, talk about that 2009 year because again, you know, like I said, when you got on campus, Carolina was still building under Steve Spurrier, and it all culminated what we saw in 10 and 11. But how much, I guess, did that red shirt year, I mean, did it help you? Like, what was that year like for you? Because, again, I'm sure there was an adjustment going from JUCO to SEC football. Yeah. Well, um, I think I had a chance to play that 2009 year, the fact that I graduated from JUCO so late. I, I, mm. I actually showed up to training camp like nine or ten days late. Mm. So once I got there, I was lucky enough to – have the best of both worlds. I had Eric Norwood his senior season, mm. and I had Jadavion Clowney his freshman season. So <laughs> imagine practice for that. that right? Iron so, sharpens iron. That's going to make anybody all, better. All day long, man. All day long. And I'm talking about that red shirt year is what groomed me to be the player mm. I could be because Eric Norwood, when I first got there, excuse my French, he whooped my ass. It was faster. <laughs> it was way faster. These guys were way just as big, just as strong. You know, Juco, I was kind of dominating because I was bigger and stronger than everybody. But mm. once we got down, they was way faster, man. It really took me a couple of months to adjust to the speed. But once I got it, man, again, like I said, we, we, we sharpened each other every day. For sure. So you being an offensive lineman, you know, you talked about the guys you play with, Rock, and I've got to ask you about Marcus Lattimore because your first season blocking for the Gamecocks, again, and you you really came on the scene quickly that first year. I mean, you started all 14 games, played both guard positions. Again, you were a key contributor for the Gamecocks, but you got to block for Marcus Lattimore, who still to this day goes down as one of the best, if not the best Gamecocks running back in school history. Just – Talk about the relate because I know you guys have a tight relationship between your running back and your offensive line, and also you brought for you blocked for Ryan Maddox and you know Kenny Miles, and you, you guys had a nice stable of backs. But it's no secret Marcus was the guy; he was the dude that freshman year, 2010. What he did was just absolutely incredible. You know, you think of his his coming out party, if you will, against Georgia in that home game and breaking like 30, 40 tackles. Just I'm sure you had to appreciate that as an offensive line, like a. a, a a running back that, you know, not take anything away from you guys because you guys blocked fantastic, but a guy that's going to help also help make you look good. Like when he's breaking all those tackles, he's able to hit the hole, he's shifty, whatever. He's able to run through people. J- just talk about the relationship you had with Marcus. And, again, because like I said, I know it had to be tight when, like, that's your guy. That's your guy you're blocking for. Man, the thing about Marcus is, man, when Marcus first hit campus, um, 
you being the number one guy and, and getting all the attention nationally, you would expect for most of these kids that come in at 17, 18 years old to be to let it get to their head. But man, as soon as Marcus got there, it was ball from day one. Let's mm-hmm. we locked in. I want to meet my guys. He's hanging out with us. You know, he always steered down his own path. He always was the straight and narrow. So he didn't necessarily club or hang out with the guys like that. But as far as just chilling and vibing, man, mm-hmm. and getting on the same page, he's always been there, always been stand up. And that helped us once we got to the field. Cause it's like, man, we ain't even played a down to football yet. And I know you got my back already. So I'd be damned if I let somebody get to you out here. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like literally guys felt like they were laying their life on the line for these guys with their ball in their hand. That was now, the type of relationship we had. For sure. Now, I, I want to ask you because DJ talked about it, kind of the moment he knew that Marcus Lattimore was for real in the sense that I'm not sure if you heard him talk about it, but basically saying at practice, you know, he met Marcus in the hole, you know, put him in the ground basically, and then a couple plays later, Marcus returns the favor. Was there a moment for you where – and because, again, you're blocking for him. I mean, you, you, you see it more than anybody. Was there a moment for you, like maybe it was in practice or whatever, that you were like, this is going to be a big-time football player? Man, it was just – it was how – it was the transition for me. It was mm-hmm. like um, guys like Kenny – and, and that, taking that nothing away from those guys, Kenny Miles, Brian Maddox, they were great backs. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he hit campus from day one and I felt like I've been practicing with this guy since, he, since I've been here, that just lets you know that how smooth the transition was. It was like we we actually took a step forward once he got in the backfield, man, because it added a little juice to the offense. We running plays we ain't never ran before. We didn't feel like we were limited. And then you had Alshon coming into his own already, so that just added fuel to the fire once he got there. Man. For sure, Rock. I, I want to ask you something kind of switching gears here that I heard some buddies talking about a couple of weeks ago, and, and that is talking about running game. And I know you're going to have a great perspective on this because, again, you're a former offensive lineman. Um, they were having a debate. Would you rather have an elite offensive line but an average back or an elite, you know, elite running back, but maybe have kind of a, you know, not a shoddy line, but an average line? Like, I'm, I'm going to ask you specifically your preference. If you're on an offensive line, would you rather be surrounded by a bunch of All-Americans, but maybe your running back isn't? You know, not Marcus Lattimore caliber. Maybe he's an average backer. Would you rather be with a bunch of guys that not, not again, not not rough shot or anything, but have a have a average offensive line or average four guys around you, but you know you're blocking for a guy like a Lattimore, like an All American caliber. Like, do you prefer one way or the other? Because you were lucky enough when you were there, you guys had both. I mean, that's that's the the dream, right? I mean, you had both. But if you had to pick one, which would you go with? I would definitely go with the five offensive linemen because, yeah. man, let me tell you something. This is not being biased. <laughs> this is the game of football. If your trenches are not doing anything, your team is not doing anything either. And that's where it started. And let's just be honest. If I got five All-American offensive linemen, that back goes from average to kind of yeah, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. That, that the trenches is where it starts. And I would rather – it's hard to find – five solid guys that can get on the same page and have the same tenacity and same mentality to get the job done every play. It's hard to find it. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. When they asked me, I actually agreed with you because I I just think, like you said, if you've got five All-American offensive linemen, five caliber guys like that, your offense as a a whole just got a letter grade better as a whole. So I I agree with you 110%. I want to get back on the field, your time at South Carolina Rock, because 2010, I mean, I I guess – you, you really can't draw it up any better. Um, 2010, you get on, you know, your first year playing, boom, you go to the SEC championship. 
I want to ask you, did you kind of have a feeling going in it? Because, again, Steve Spurrier was building up, building that team up to that point. Did you kind of have a feeling going in that year that that, that was going to be a special football team? Like, did, did you kind of see that coming? Yeah, you kind of seen it at camp, honestly, man. It was the the competitions every day, man. Like, the difference between – and like I said, I, I love these guys now. I appreciate these guys now. I know they're working hard. But the difference between now and then were – I believe the competition. I had the chance of catching a practice last year, a couple practices last year, and it was just the competition at each position. Like right. in defensive back, you had Stefan and CC Whitlock and and DJ Swanger talking smack to Alshon and uh, Smith and and Jason Barnes, and you had them talking smack. On our side, you had Melvin Ingram and uh, uh, Eric Norwood and Clifton Gathers and going against me, T. Campbell, and and he, he uh, Hutch Eckerson. Like, it was a daily competition. Mm. This was off the field. Like, we try, we racing trying to see who get to the town <laughs> first. Like, it was that serious. Like, it was competition all the way through the day. And that's the difference I see now. So, when if, if, if these got mad, I, I, I get fired up talking about it, dog. Honestly, <laughs> like, it, it, we, man, we used to be so competitive, man. It was so competitive, and that translated to the field. For sure. So, I, we can't talk about 2010 without talking about that Alabama game, uh, Rock. We, we got to talk about that because that was really, again, and I think, you know, maybe we're going to get to it just a second, but South Carolina beating Auburn this past weekend. Maybe that will serve as a game similar to where you're kind of starting to break through and turn the corner a bit. But for you guys, that win over Alabama in 2010, that was truly the turning the corner point where you really you really knew, okay, this program has arrived under Steve Spurrier. Just talk about that week leading up to that game, that game as a whole, like that whole day. You have college game day. And, and you know, man, from being on the team, like it's just different. When you got game day in town, that the energy yeah. is just it, – it's you feel it. I mean, I, I know you guys feel it. Just just talk about that, that entire experience that day, beating number one Alabama, kind of doing – the unthinkable, quote unquote, at least to the college football world. What was that like for you? Well, man, as long as I play football, man, I've learned at South Carolina that confidence is everything. And the week leading up to that Alabama game, man, when I tell you, Coach Spurrier, Coach Elliott, they all did an excellent job of making us feel like, hey, these guys put their pants on just like y'all do, like. I don't care nothing about the ranking. Like, look at this. Like, they showing us on film. Like, that. you mean to tell me you can't compete with that? And guys already got the chip on their shoulder because you like, dang, I ain't go to Alabama. I'm at South Carolina. So, I want to show them why y'all messed up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you had some type of chip on your shoulder. And all that week, it was Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram, Trent yeah. Richardson, Mark Ingram. We got so sick of hearing about what Alabama going to do, Julio Jones this. And, man, it literally I, – I, Thursday – it was already in everybody's head, like, bro, we finna go win this game. We finna go win this game. Yeah, not, not just win. Years. Y'all y'all smacked them. Y- y'all yeah, smacked. I, yeah. One game I want to talk about specifically, again, we could spend the entire show just talking about that 2010 season and what happened. <laughs> but it, the game that kind of – I don't know. that It just stands out to me the way the offensive line played is the Florida game that clinched it to go to Atlanta, to clinch the SEC East. Because, um, like, the image of that game I never forget – is the run that Marcus had up the middle. It was one of his touchdowns, and he gets stood up at, like, the five-yard line, and you just see the convoy of offensive linemen come and shove him in the end zone. Um, Just talk about that game, again, doing what South Carolina still has never done since then. I mean, you were part of that team that, 
you know, clinched the berth to Atlanta to go to the SEC championship, you know, doing something that had never been done at South Carolina. I, I know it was probably special for you in the moment, but looking back and, again, being able to talk about it, like, what does that mean to you now? Man, that means everything. It means the world to me, man. Just coming from where I came from and Juco ball and not seeing nobody in the fans and then actually going the, – the, 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 the plus side of it was actually going into Florida and winning it. Like, yeah. This is like rated one of the toughest places to play. And then for the game that started off the way it did with the kick and turn and guys thinking this out of it. And then we come right back down and smack them in their mouth. And then uh the play with Marcus where he we, we kind of convoyed him into the end zone. That just go back to like I said, our coaches having us prepared. Coach Elliott literally all year told us that moment was coming where we was we used to be mad, like, man, we gotta run out to practice because we ain't running to the football or we ain't in the camera. And literally that moment came where it was time to show that and we and now we see why it paid off. So that mo- those moments right there, man, you can't replace those. You can't replace them at all. Yeah. You you, you talk about Sean Elliott. I'm curious to get your thoughts on him because he's doing great things at Georgia State. And I obviously did great things after you left and was that you know, had the job for a second there. Um, just talk about your relationship with him because it seems like everybody I've talked to is really fond of Coach Elliott. And I mean it was always awesome to see him see him in uh in pregame, doing doing the mosh pit and stuff like that, and j- just talk about Sean Elliott a little bit. Well, man, Coach Elliott, man, the thing about with Coach Elliott, as far as football goes, when we got in the meet room, when we got to practice, man, he made the game so simple. That's mm-hmm. what it was. It, it wasn't uh, like rock. He didn't make it rocket science, and and he let you know why you got your tail whooped. First of all, he was gonna let you know that, <laughs> and then the way that he explained it on why you got your tail whooped. You know that next rep, I got to fix that. And it showed, like the results showed. So as far as, man, just every day that guy pushed us to the limit and pushed us to, to limits that we never thought we would reach us off the line. Because honestly, before we got there, man, the offensive line had a bad rap for a while. Mm. You know, that little gap between, um, shout out my big dog, Travell, Travell Warren. And, mm. you know, to the time we got there, man, it was a bad rap. And that's what the coaches kept telling us. It was a bad rap for offensive line. And uh, with the help of Coach Woofer, he kind of started off in 2009. And um, uh, Coach Elliott coming in 2010, man, that just carried it over. And I felt like we've been on the high street with linemen since then. You got Brandon Shell, you got um, uh, A.J. Cam. I can't remember all the names, but you got a bunch of Corey Robinson. Like, that was Corey Robinson, man. We had guys, man. We had guys since, they, since Coach Elliott took over, man. We really had guys. I, I want to ask you, kind of switching gears a, a little bit again, because I want to get into the SEC championship stuff. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about iron sharpens iron, and as far as, you know, you, you, I mean, I, I feel like the matchups you guys had in practice, it, it had to make you feel like that, like there's no defensive lineman you can't take on, because you weren't going to see anybody better than what you guys were going up against. Like when you think of Travian Robertson and Clifton Gathers and Devin Taylor and Jadavion Clowney and Eric Norwood, and you just keep – Aldrick Fordham, like you keep going down the list of guys, and it's so who was who was your matchup? Who who was like your one on one guy that you went with the most, and like you remember going up against? Well, I told you my my red show year, I got the Eric Norwood train the whole yeah. entire year. Him and <laughs> Cliff Matthews, like just imagine my practice as a red shirt. Like I got these guys <laughs> all day, every day, like and then they talking smack so. Then 2010 hit, and you got Melvin coming into his own, yeah. getting settled in. And now I got, I'm back inside, and I got Travian, 
Lottie Algeboy, like the list goes on. And then my last season, come on, man, you got seven. You got Melvin run trying to run mm-hmm. a train. And funny story, we had practice one day. I'm I, I'm gonna stop telling all these stories. But we had we had practice one day and um we in two minute drill. And everybody know, but when we get to the end of practice, Coach Burry, we finna throw the ball. So guess what the defense gonna do? They're gonna pin their ears back. They come, right? Man, when I tell you Clowney and Ingram and Azric is coming in running the train, like literally every two reps just running the train on the offense. We can't even get the ball off. Coach Elliott, was somebody blocking? Somebody blocking. Literally, the frustration came out, dog. When I tell you all five offensive linemen turned around at Coach Elliott and was like, well, what the fuck you want us to do about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, at that moment, he was like, you know what? You might be right. <laughs> you might be right. Like, y'all got to do it today. We're going to get y'all tomorrow, but y'all got it today. Man, them guys was unstoppable, man. And them guys really got us ready to play. We never... That, that we never seen nothing like that in the game. The game was easy when it came to defense line. Yeah, now and now you see what Melvin Ingram and Jadavion Clowney are doing every Sunday. It's like, yeah, there was some merit to it. It's like you try to stop him. Go ahead. Come on, <laughs> no, for Come on sure. For sure. So I, I want to get into the SEC championship stuff again. I know the game didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, but just talk a little bit about just again the experience going to Atlanta. You take on the Auburn Tigers, and like I said, it didn't go the way you wanted. But again. The first South Carolina team to ever do it, still the only South Carolina team to ever do it. Talk about that experience of just playing in an SEC championship. Man, yeah, like I said, of course, it didn't finish the way we wanted to finish, but just the preparation and knowing what we got riding on that game, man, again, you cannot trade those moments. Um, Coming to practice every day, finding what just uh, the preparation for, getting ready for it now. Knowing you got guys – that's on the back end waiting on you to bring this home. And that literally fueled our fire. And I, I I honestly can't even tell you what happened in the game. Mm. It was all just a blurry, like happened so fast. I guess we caught up in the moment and, and Cam, man, Cam I, Newton turned into Superman. I think, I think that's yeah, what happened. And, and, and again, the way those <laughs> two games went, it was like, man, what can you do? The universe right. just ruined this shit. Bro. <laughs> it's nothing you can do, man. It's like, it's just meant to be, man. And, the shout out to them guys too, because they played a hell of a game too. But I felt like we did everything we were supposed to do, man. It just, it just didn't fall our way that day. Yeah. Well, on a more positive note, I want to talk about the South Carolina Clemson rivalry, and you went three and zero in that rivalry. Didn't so, never lost, never lost, never lost the Tigers. Uh, I know, being from the state of Georgia, I don't know how familiar you were, how familiar you were with it. But just talk about that rivalry and going three and zero against Clemson, and, and really. I mean, all three years you were there, I know you didn't necessarily play in the 9 game because you were redshirting, but all three years you were there, you guys smacked them. I mean, they weren't they were not close games, really, any of the three. Um, just talk about how how quickly did you find out how big of a game that was and uh just your experience overall in that Carolina Clemson rivalry. Well, again, that redshirt year kind of helped me just see mm-hmm. everything from afar and figure out right. what the tradition and the program was about. So 2009, I didn't get to play, but I was, I was, of course, I, this is my team. I'm happy we won, but right. I, of course, I wanted to contribute. Like, I'm South Carolina to the death now, so let me get in. But in 2010-11 season, when we first got to play them, I felt like, like, what? <laughs> this, this, this what y'all talking about? This, this is the, the Clemson y'all keep hollering about? All right, let's handle it. Like, that's what I felt like when I got to them, and I could not wait. Like, I literally felt like I was from 
the state of South Carolina when we played those guys. Because, you know, my rivalry, I was more so mad at UGA for not recruiting me. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> the sure. Georgia thing was big for me. But as far as Clemson, man, I can't stand them. I literally got a guy that I went to high school with, best of friends. He graduated from Clemson. And every day I get the chance to tell them how much they suck. I don't care if y'all winning national titles or not. I'm going to tell you. And you went and you you earned that right because you went undefeated against them. Exactly, uh, yeah. that's what I throw in their face every yeah. single time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say the Georgia thing too. I mean, you went uh, in the games you played in, you went undefeated against them as well. Because I mean, ten yeah, we all I, know I, what the I, offensive line did, shoving them around, and then eleven. Eleven is one of the craziest games in the history of the series. The forty-five to forty-two game. I'm I'm sure I'm sure eleven for you going to Athens had to be awesome to go get the win there. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, definitely. Because, uh, man, just the hype around the game, man. And, and, again, I always felt like Georgia was overhyped coming into the year. So, every year we showed up to them, like, man, let's go on and do what we know we can do to these guys. Because mm. I was lucky enough to beat all those guys. Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. The only team we didn't beat when I was there was Arkansas and Auburn. That's, mm. Those are the only two teams I didn't get to beat. But um, just those teams, man, you you literally went into them games, like, with, with a chip on your shoulder. Mm. Like, we got to have these. What was there any specific, uh, any specific moment in the Carolina Clemson? Because I, I know that you know, I mean, again, it doesn't even matter the opponent, but in the trenches, you know, it, it gets dirty. I mean, it, it's it's you know, it's a car crash every single play. Was was there? Are there any moments from the Carolina Clemson games that stick out for you, like trash talking? What? Because I mean, Clemson had some fairly decent defensive linemen during that span, but I, I mean, again, for you guys, it just it just didn't matter. I mean, you guys bullied them, pushed them around. Was there like any? specific moments that stick out to you that you, you were like jawing back and forth with the guys or you you and your offensive linemen were going at them or what? And then, come on, man. We had Terrence Kevin and me. <laughs> no, he was going to do some trouble. <laughs> but that first year, uh, that, that what was that? The year we went to Clemson. That was my Ten. year. The year we went there now, the fr- I, this is probably on film. The first play of the game, Brandon Thompson gave me that work. I got to give it to him. And he talking. I'm like, okay. But I'm guessing he think we just going to fold up. So we took and drove his ass five, six yards back, dumped him on his neck, and we back talking. Like, that's the type of rivalry it was. If you got us, we was going to definitely get you back. But nine times out of ten, we were doing the get. <laughs> For sure. So I, I want to move in 2011 because, Rock, 2011 season, you were actually – I mean, there, there were high accolades coming your way. You were a preseason third team All-SEC by Phil Steele, and, and it and it definitely panned out. Uh, you were named All-SEC first team by the AP, started all 12 games in that 2011 season. Just talk about what clicked for you, because, again, you really can't draw up a better senior season, how it went for you, first team to win 11 games. You know, you beat Georgia, you beat Clemson. I want to get into some of those specifics in just a second. But as a player, individually for you, what clicked that really made your game shine in 2011? Um, 2011, the game kind of slowed down for me, man. I, I, I basically took more time to get in shape, and um, that was my biggest thing while I was there. I couldn't keep my weight under control, but once I got my weight under control and I jumped in the film room a whole lot more, I knew what I was doing. I studied my opponent a whole lot more. It just became – um, I, I started – once I fit, realized that I had a shot at the professional level, mm-hmm. I kind of approached it as such, and it really showed on the field for me. That's all it was, man. And with the help of the coaches, like I said, they kept everything simple for us. So I was able to just let my life shine while I was in there. For sure. Talk about specifically, Rock, that that season opener, 2011, against East Carolina, because you were named the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. And I, I know that was a 
a really crazy game, especially in the sense of Connor Shaw's name starting quarterback. Steven Garcia takes back over. You have to come back. The game is in Charlotte, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll give you the floor. Just talk about that that season opening game again, SEC offensive lineman of the week. I'm sure that had to be a, uh, you know, a big honor for you, at least make you feel good. Yeah, it was a big honor. Uh, man, you felt like the work was paying out. But, honestly, yeah. it came as a shock to everybody. Um, <laughs> for um, To be honest, because, like I said, we all felt like we played horrible. As far as just the offensive side of the ball, we all felt like we played absolutely horrible. So for me to get an accolade off of feeling like you played horrible, of course that's going to shock you. But, man, just the 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 stuff surrounding it with the, the quarterback battle. And like I said, shout out to Garcia because Garcia played his ass off to bring us back and the senior leadership show. And Connor Shaw, again, still played his tail off just being a young buck and being able to go into the fire right away and do what he did, like, Man, you got to commend both of those guys, both of those guys. But it was just a weird week all alone. Like, mm. why are we playing in Charlotte first of all? This is ECU. This is not like a, like I had like this some type of classic or something. I don't, I, it was just weird, man. It was a weird week all alone. Talk about the quarterbacks a little bit because you mentioned Garcia, you mentioned Shaw. We all know what happened in 2011 after the Auburn game. Garcia is dismissed and Shaw takes over. And again, I talked about your relationship, offensive lineman's relationship with the running backs. I know you guys are really close to their quarterback too because again, that's that's the guy you're protecting. You know, that, that's the guy you're keeping upright. Just just talk about. I mean, did anything change for you as far as your game, as far as who you were blocking for? Did it really matter for you at all? And again, just just talk about sort of the relationship with those guys. Well, not necessarily. It didn't necessarily change as far as um when Garcia played. It was um I didn't I didn't necessarily have to block for the scramble as much. Mm-hmm. So when Connor came in, it gave us a lot of highlight blocks as far as crackbacks and mm-hmm. you know getting people loose as far as him scrambling to make something happen. But it wasn't really big that big of a transition for me because I was nine times out of ten inside. And then, uh my senior season, hell, it was, I was at left tackle, so mm-hmm. I, I mean I was pretty much locked in. But just the relationship with those guys off the field, man, I got to commend Connor because he didn't come in with the big head. He come in wanting to prove that he can work and play in this league and mm. and, and, and provide something to the team that we could use. And uh, Garcia took him as a little brother. I know the media didn't portray it as such, but mm. it was definitely like, this is like my little bro. I'm going to show him everything I can. We just want to win ball games. Mm. We're trying to change something here up in South Carolina, and this is one of the steps that we're doing it with. Connor Shaw, so Whatever we got to do to get him prepared. And once Garcia left, we did the same thing. It was nothing different. But, you know, again, off the field, it was no love lost. It was all like a brotherhood. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, we, everybody was calling Garcia when he got dismissed, trying to make sure he was all right. And, um, you know, and then on the other side, everybody was getting Connor ready to, to play the next game. You know what I'm saying? Because, again, it was all about winning for us. For sure. So I always think it's really interesting, Rock, when I'm able to get an offensive lineman on because offensive line is one of those positions, you know, we talk about football and we critique it, we criticize it, we highlight it, whatever you want to call it. We, we talk about the game, but unless you've played on the offensive line, it, it's such a complex, you know, there's so many ins and outs and things that just the, the casual fan doesn't really understand. I, I want to ask you, though, in 10 and 11, when you were on those lines, what made you guys so good? Like, if you want to get – you can get as technical with it as you want, but outside of just having, you know, great individual guys, like, what do you think made you guys mesh so well? Because, again, it, it's funny. When people think of Steve Spurrier, they think of all the cock and fire. We're going to throw it all over the field. But 
I really look back on those teams, and I think the reason you guys were so successful is you could run the football. Bottom line, you could run the football. Like you were saying, you won the line of scrimmage. You imposed your will. You won at the point of attack. What made you guys so good, do you feel, as an offensive line those two years that you started along the line? Um, I felt like it was, again, it was the coaching staff, man. They made it so simple. And, again, they made us understand um, what we were doing and why we were doing it. So, um, a lot of the players we were running, um, it was a simple concept, but uh, it allowed us to do what we do best as far as, like, you can have your deficiencies along the line. Like, everybody had a weakness somewhere. But the stuff we was running, it didn't it didn't allow to show through nobody. You know what I'm saying? It was all just one line. And um, the physicality was the biggest thing. That's what changed. That's what changed. Just being physical, being nasty, being tenacious, man. That's what got us through that whole those two seasons that I was there. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I, I want to talk about the 11 season just as a whole, though, Rock. Obviously, um, your first two seasons, unfortunately, you guys lose your bowl games, I know, in 09 and 10. 2011, you're playing Nebraska. You have a 10-win regular season. South Carolina has never won 11 games in a season before that season, obviously. What was the, I guess, what was the mentality of the football team, the mentality for yourself personally? But how, how were you guys feeling, would you say, going into that game against Nebraska? Because one of my favorite stories, and I forget exactly who told me, was, you know, Steve Spurrier made it a point to point out that, you know, Nebraska has all this tradition. They've won these, these conference titles, and they've done this, and they've done that. But we're going to go out and beat Nebraska today. Like, like that, none of that matters. This is 2011. None of what they've done in the past matters. Like, what, what was the, the mentality of you guys going into that game, knowing that you could accomplish another first that had never been done at South Carolina? Yeah, man, the, the main thing was, again, these guys, with these programs having this tradition and making us feel like the underdog, our coaching staff did an excellent job of making us feel like we can beat anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. That was just point blank period. They gave us the confidence. And once we entered that week for that bowl game, it was like Nebraska who? All right, let's go handle it. Again, we're going to approach it just like Clemson, just like Georgia, just like anybody else. And it was the fact that we were trying to build something. Like point blank period, we were trying to build something. For sure. So when we look back at that season, and I say again that we've talked about it a lot, but when I look, when we look back at that season, um, and I say to you, Rakevius Watkins, member of the the first team to ever win eleven games at South Carolina, first time it ever happened. I mean, again, it's kind of like talking about the SEC championship, where you know in the moment how cool it is but I, I just again I have to imagine for you like you couldn't have scripted a better senior year I mean just as far as then your last game you beat Nebraska you get to 11 wins like I mean I know it was special in the moment but looking back that's that's got to be something that really sticks out to you as far as your football career is concerned yeah definitely man and again for for me to be able to tell my kids that I was on that historic team and I was able to be a part of building something at a university that it wasn't known for, man. That's that'll forever be in my heart and, and South Carolina ever forever be in my memories. Just uh, the stuff that I was able to experience, I never would have thought I would be traveling around the country playing SEC football, and for South Carolina to give me that opportunity, man. Again, that'll forever be in my heart. For sure. So, Rock, getting to your pro career, 2012 NFL Draft, you're taking in the you're taking in the fifth round. Um, just talk about what it was like getting that call. Because like you said, you come from such humble beginnings, Fairburn, Georgia, whatever, going the JUCO route again. So you're at that point, and then to get drafted in the fifth round, I mean, just describe your emotions, your feelings when you got that call. Man, 
that's something I can't really explain to you, man. You just have to, you just have to feel it, man. Mm-hmm. The the hardest part is the, the anticipation of not knowing where you're gonna end up, and right. um, just feeling like you better than guys is going before you, or you felt like you put in the work to be in a better position, or you know, just just simple things like that. But outside the positive side of it, man, you just it's just a moment you can't describe like, man, just to know that you put in all this work and where I come from. Like, like I said, it was the last thing on my mind until like my junior senior season when I realized I could actually go pro. So it's just a feeling that you can't describe, man. I took the call and at first, like I said, at first I looked at the phone and said, Missouri, um, <laughs> I'm like, Oh snap. I'm finna go in, a, 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 in high school. I played with uh, Eric Berry. That's okay. my best friend. Yeah. We was all on the same team together, uh, all through pretty much record high school. So um, when I got the call, I'm like, oh, snap, this might be in Kansas City. I'm going to go to the Chiefs. And then I answered the phone. It's Jeff Fisher. He's like, hey, Rock, how you doing, man? It's Jeff Fisher. I'm like, that's when it hit. Then it was like all surreal to me. Like, man, I'm talking to Jeff Fisher. I just got hired. Like, it's about to go down, man. Like, So, again, it's a, it's a feeling that you can't really describe. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it just like that. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about your pro career a little bit because, again, you played with the Rams and Chiefs. And I know you played a little bit in the XFL as well. Just your biggest takeaways from your pro career, your best memories, kind of what you learned along the way. I, I know, obviously, there's an adjustment even going from the SEC game to the NFL because, you know, it's, it's, you're not in school anymore. It's a, it's a business. It's your job, whatever. Like, but what are, your, what are your fondest memories and takeaways from your pro career? Um, man, just the people I got to meet, the stuff I got to learn, man, the, the, the way that I learned the game of football at the pro level, it was more detailed. It was more fine-tuning. Um, that was a point where they felt like your technique should not have to be coached. You know what I'm saying? Um, it should be more X's and O's than anything. So um, the way that we approached the game on a daily basis, it was totally different for me because, again, you didn't have to worry about school or uh, your final exam and all that, man. And once you got to uh, Thursday or Friday, it was pretty much time to lock in for the game. It was no more playing. So um, just my biggest takeaway from it is just how I approached the game. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest thing, again, I, I ended up – my career ended up being shortened because um, I took it for granted and, and, and I, I, I used my case to state the younger guys who pursuing this NFL thing, man, Take your diet and your nutrition serious. Take your grind serious. Get your workouts in, your workouts on, um, because it, like it's a guy out there doing the same thing you're doing, and and this is a business. They'll replace your behind just as fast as they brought you in. <laughs> so again, I the way that I approached the game, approached the game like a professional. That was the biggest thing that I learned. Now, Rock, I, I want to get your take on the state of the program right now. Obviously, we're talking South Carolina over the past weekend. Just got a huge win over Auburn. And, uh, you know, this 2020 season's obviously crazy with a 10-game conference schedule. But all their goals are still out in front of them. But I, you, you said you were able to go to some practices, I think, last year or whatever. And I, I just want to get your take. Will Muschamp in year five. Obviously, there's been, you know, Coach Spurrier resigning, stuff like that, whatever. But Will Muschamp, year five now, just got a big win over Auburn. Just – just talk about the state of the program as a whole, your feelings on. I know you also probably got to see like the the new ops building and the and the and I'm sure that the facilities now just have to blow you away from what you even what you guys had just 10 years ago. It's crazy. I'm um, jealous. I'm yeah. jealous. I ain't gonna lie. I am mad. I'm mad. Nah, man, man, those guys deserve it, man. That's that was the whole point of us putting in the work that we put in. Um 
like I said, we knew we weren't gonna reap the benefits of that. The, the benefits were the moments that we got, but this was what that was for to bring in those recruits and feel like we can compete with the other power five schools, man. And um, I, again, I got to see some practices. And Coach Muschamp is a great coach overall, man. Like I said, it's just the guys got to approach the game different. Um, I don't feel like we got a bad team. I don't feel like we're not getting the recruits that we should have. I just feel like we got to approach the game like this is the last thing we have. These guys too caught up in the moment nowadays. This is, And I'm not speaking yeah. for South Carolina or the players there. I'm just speaking about the game as a whole. It's more – I guess it's just different than when I played, man. It was just – I don't know how to really explain. It was just it's just different. But again, you adjust, the game evolves. Um, I guess that's just how it goes now. But man, we I see some bright things. Um, especially my guy JC Horn. Like I watched JC mm-hmm. grow up from basically rec ball here in Atlanta, man. Just he's been tearing it up since then. So just I know how he approached the game. Mm-hmm. And if we can get guys all on one accord to approach the game, not saying that they don't, right. just with the tenacity and just the heart and just the will to win, like the way that he does, man, I think we'll be just fine. I can't really blame nobody for um, – you, you can put in all the X's and O's and game plans you want to, but if you don't show up and want to win, it, it, all that's pointless. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Well, Rock, you've been gracious with your time. I'm going to get you out of here. Last thing, though, really quickly, I, I'll give you the floor. Any memorable Steve Spurrier stories or just practice stories or really, really – any great memories you have from your time at Carolina, whether it be on or off the field? Because, again, you guys had so many awesome moments when it comes to on the field and you won big games and you did this and that. But uh, anything specifically just kind of stand out that maybe the, the, the common fan wouldn't know about that, that you can tell on the airways, by the way. I'll say I, I don't want to yeah, get you in I, trouble, I, I obviously. Mean, but <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather throw myself on the bus or something like that. So I'll tell you this one story. One weekend, we had a bye week, and uh, Coach Spurrier made it his business. Rock, I know how you get down. Make sure you come back in shape. You know, don't go home and gain a bunch of weight. What did Rock do? Rock pulled off and gained a bunch of weight. I gained mm. 20 pounds in one weekend. One weekend? What What, what could you eat in one weekend? Man, it, it, it really wasn't even uh, – come on, man. We was college students, man. It oh, was just true. Okay. All right, all right. Fair enough. I just had to get back and hit the song, bro. That hey, was all hey, it was. You hey, know what I'm saying? Hey. So, um, but the Coach Spurrier seen me, he was like, Bro, Keith, how, how much you weigh? I said, Coach, you don't even want to know, man. God dog it, didn't I tell you not to go over to <laughs> He lost his mind. So every day that week, I had the gracious time of walking on the treadmill with Coach Spurrier doing his workout. He felt like that was going to get that 20 pounds off me. So I had to do all my side cardio workouts with Coach Spurrier on the treadmill. And I got to hear all these funny stories from the 70s and the 80s. And that was probably one of the funniest moments I had because I can't tell you what those stories were right. about. Again, that was one of my best moments with Coach. Uh, that's that's got to be a good motivating thing, right? Your coach is right there with you doing it, right? Was, he's not, yeah. not going to leave you high and dry. It's like, I'll, I'll do it with you. <laughs> of course, I was going a little bit faster than you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, Rock, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know I know. I speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it was a pleasure to watch you guys do what you did, and especially those offensive lines, man, those groups that you were a part of, and you were a huge part of them. But what you guys did, really, like I said, imposing your will and bullying people around 2010, 2011, the two years you know, that you played and were there, that was, that was a blast. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time, man. We'd love to do it again soon. Appreciate it, man. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. I appreciate it, man. He's Rakevious Watkins. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.